God, we come before you. God, we come before you with nothing to offer, nothing that merits us your grace. And God, yet you are gracious. You are merciful. You are loving. God, you are just. God, even just these things that we've mentioned, just even those are the reasons to worship you. God, you are worthy of our worship, worthy of our praise. Be with us now as Everett comes and speaks your word. As he, uh, as he preaches, God, I pray that we would have ears that would hear. Um, and be with him and be with us. We love you. And I pray. Morning. Everett Metters, I uh, am a former elder here at Trinity Community Church. Maybe someday in the future I'll be one again. I'm getting older. <laughs> I'm becoming more elder anyway. Uh, <laughs> but uh, welcome to you all. Welcome to those who are watching us online from, uh, from wherever you're watching. Uh, please, please join me again in prayer. Father, we thank you for the goodness of your grace, for your great mercy that you saw us in our sin and had compassion on us and sent your son to pay our debts, to erase our guilt before you, that you raised him to new life so that one day we might be raised, that you poured out your Holy Spirit to cleanse us and sanctify us and to make us one body in you and that you are the guarantee of our faith. You are the guarantee of our inheritance until we receive it in glory in your presence. Lord, I pray that you would take your word this morning and bless it as we hear, as we listen, as we read. Lord, that you would overcome my inadequacy and weakness and that you would display the glory of Christ who is our hope, who is our surety, who is the ground of our faith. Holy Spirit, come now and help us to hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was thinking this morning about what it was like this time a year ago and a few weeks before that. You know, thinking about the uncertainty and the fears we approached the, uh, as we approached lockdowns for the virus, thinking about the Thursday night when we met up in the elders, up in the prayer room as, for, the el, for the elders meeting and talked about whether or not we were going to meet on the, on the, on the coming Sunday. And, and we looked, we, we, we listened to what we'd heard from the CDC and from other 
organizations and, we, you know, what was going on, what other churches here in Lake County were doing. And we thought, uh, yeah, we can do this safely. We'll set these precautions in place and, and we'll meet on Sunday and worship God together. And, and on Friday afternoon, less than, less than 24 hours after that meeting was, was when the gover- governor proclaimed the, uh, the statewide, statewide lockdown. And so all our plan and precaution that we'd talked through and agonized over the night before was, was gone. And we started meeting online in just huge clouds of uncertainty of what was going to happen. And that's been, that, that's been so much of the experience through the last year is that uncertainty and fear and confusion and, and hearing of different voices, different, uh, different visions of the present and the future that each proclaim themselves as true and fact and based in science or based in statistics or based in whatever. That's been so much of our last year as we've, we've wrestled with what do we do about this virus, as we've wrestled with what's going on in our society and brothers and sisters coming to us and, and saying, we have been mistreated and oppressed for years and you haven't listened to it and things have to change. And brothers and sisters coming to us and saying, that's not really what's going on. These people are promoting an agenda. As we've watched political division, as we watched 155 million Americans divide almost evenly, not quite evenly, but close to evenly, as to what the future for our country should be as we've watched riots and insurrections, as we've seen death tolls rise, it's been a hard year. It's been a year full of uncertainty, full of fear and confusion, full of lies and full of truth. And it's been a challenge and it's still a challenge for a lot of us as we sit here with our masks waiting for vaccines as we watch at home because we know that there's a risk that we we don't think we can afford to take to come together. It's still hard. It continues to be hard. And in the midst of this, we've been listening to the book of Hebrews to a pastor who's writing to his, to his people whether it's his, his friends or whether it's his congregation that he's separated from we don't know we don't know the details but as they were in a time of struggle and hardness and fear and strife 
And so this morning we want to pick up with Hebrews chapter 11. But I actually want to start at the end of, uh, towards the end of chapter 10. So I'm going to be reading from Hebrews 11, or uh, start that over. I'm going to be reading from Hebrews 10, verse 32, to Hebrews 12, verse 3. Um, and, and for whatever reason, this is a completely random thought. Um, but a lot of times, you know, people will talk about a decade, like say the 1960s. That's a 10-year period, but really they mean like 1956 to 1974. That's a a little bit what my sermon on Hebrews 11 is this morning. So, sorry about that. Hebrews 10, 32 to 12, 3. But recall the former days when, after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings sometimes publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. For yet a little while, and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and preserve their souls. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. By faith Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through faith and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. 
By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, 
wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. This is the word of the Lord. That's essentially everything I've got to say. <laughs> the Hebrews that this letter was written to were people who had, who had come to believe in Jesus. And when they first believed, the road had been hard. We see that at the beginning, back in chapter 10, that in the former days, after you enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. They suffered when they started, but it seems as though at some point things got easy for them and they got comfortable. And now, as, as this letter was being written, the pressure was getting turned up again. Things were getting hard once again. Presumably, this is one of the, one of the persecutions of the Roman Empire of the Christians. And, and for these believers, the easy temptation was to turn back, to let go of this, this faith and this message about Jesus and re-embrace the Jewish system that they had grown up in. Because at least that system, even though it was despised by so many people in the Roman Empire, was a legal system. Except during insurrections and rebellions, people weren't executed in Rome for being Jews. Whereas in the city of Rome itself, Nero was hanging Christians on poles and setting them on fire. There was, there was a, 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 a kind of love-hate acceptability to being Jewish in the Roman Empire. And so for these brothers and sisters, there was the temptation to give up all this Jesus stuff and go back to the synagogue. And so what our author is doing is reminding them that even, even those 
that they, that they look back to and admire and think about how easy they have it. When you look at their heroes, they had to persevere. They could not turn back. And so he's going to give us what some people, some people call the Faith Hall of Fame, just going through a list of the heroes of the Jewish faith. And just from the beginning, because you notice when he got to that point towards the end of chapter 11, you know, he's talked about Abel and Enoch and Noah and Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Moses and Rahab. And then he's like, and, and then there's the whole rest of the Old Testament that I haven't even talked about yet. We're just going to skip over that. I'll give you a quick summary, he says. But even looking back at the heroes, he shows that faith and trust in God's promises is not something that one can just set aside and hope to live, but that we have to live by faith. That God has made promises. God has a future in store for his people. And we saw back earlier in Hebrews in chapters three and four, he talks about the people who, of the Exodus who were led out of Egypt, who were set free by God's mighty acts and who got to the verge of receiving the promise that God held out for them and said, nope, this is not for us. This God who wiped out the army of Egypt can't deal with these little scattered city-states in Palestine. So we're just going to stay here in the desert and die. Because that's easier than trusting God and accepting the promise that he gives. There was a temptation to look at the sacrificial system of the temple and the priests and say, we know how to do that. We can do that. Let's just go do that again. That's, it's got demands, it's got rules, it's regulations, but we can do it. This trusting in one once for all time, complete sacrifice that we can't see or offer ourselves, that's hard. Let's turn away from that. And so he reminds them that even those who were offering the sacrifices, even those who went out, even those who inherited or seemed to inherit things they had been offered, even those who they were lifting up as paradigms and heroes still had to walk by faith. And that's what we're called to. And so in this chapter, we want to look at uh, three things. We want to look at, at what faith is at what does it look like to live by faith? And what does it look like to triumph by faith? So what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. 
And I, I had wanted to start back in chapter 10 just to remind us that what he's writing here in, in chapter 11, verse 1, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen, is not just a philosophical exercise in defining what it is to believe. But it's in response to people he's just told, you have to live by faith, and if you turn back from faith, you will be destroyed. So what is faith? It's not, this, this chapter is not just a, an empty exercise in inspiration or in philosophizing or in historical theology. But it's telling these believers and it's telling us what is the basis and the ground and the source of our life and our eternal living hope. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And what he's describing is, is not just the uh, psychological phenomena, the cognitive phenomena of assenting to something or believing something. But when he talks here about faith as the assurance of what is hoped for, He's talking about faith as though it were a, a sense and a perception like our sight, like our hearing, that by faith we perceive something about our hope that we know and recognize as sure as I recognize that Noah is sitting in front of me because I see him. Even with the mask, I know that's Noah. I was thinking about ways to analogize this and one of the things that, that came to mind that is, may or may not be helpful was thinking about stimulus checks. That back in, uh, back in December, you know, we were, we were told that the, the new stimulus plan was going to give $600 checks. And that was passed by Congress and it was ready to go to the president and say what you will about the economic policy of stimulus checks. My thought, especially in December, was, hey, $600. I know that in the future there's pro probably economic consequences to that, but this is really going to help pay for Christmas. Um, and then, you know, a couple of days, or, or maybe it was the day after it was passed, the president said, you know, it should have been $2,000. And so then, you know, you started into this thing about, uh, you know, how much, the, how, how much the checks should be. And, and so, you know, I got to thinking, okay, I've got $600 coming, but I could have $2,000 coming. What can I do with $2,000? Well, that's not passing, so don't worry about it. I'll just kind of 
imagine that this is a possible thing. So I'm counting on one lump of money and I'm daydreaming about another lump of money. And, and that, that has gone on for the last couple of months while we wait through the, the, the full round of the stimulus bill. You know, and I'm, I'm thinking it would be really nice if I had this extra $1,400. I just had to replace the engine in my car. This could really be helpful. Um, but it's not, it's not a sure thing. It's just something people are talking about. It'd be nice. And then the new bill passes and it's signed into law. And I go on the IRS website and I see that my check is scheduled or my debit card or whatever it's gonna be, is scheduled to be sent, scheduled to be mailed on, 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 on March 26th. That imaginary money that I was daydreaming about is still not money I have, but now it's real money. Now it's really in my plan for helping to pay off the engine that I just replaced. And I think there's something with faith that is like that. That it's not just sort of this imaginary, wouldn't it be nice if? But it's, this is a real thing that's signed into law, that's scheduled by the IRS to come into my account. When we perceive the promises of God, they're not just things that it would be nice, if it would be nice if when I died I went to heaven instead of hell, that'd be good. What could I do if I was in heaven? Well, we'll see what happens. That's not what it is. Faith is based in knowing God. And that knowledge, like our knowledge of the creation of the universe, is not something that, it's not something that we can empirically verify in a lab. You can't, you can't run an experiment at CERN or at, uh, shoot, that really advanced high-powered laboratory down on the west side. <laughs> Whatever it's called. Um, you can't just run an experiment in one of those places and say, yes, this is exactly what happened at the moment of the beginning of the universe. You can look at lots of data and you can make deductions about it. And you can say, if that was true, then this ought to be true. So now let's test this, whatever it is, and run an experiment. But you're only working on explanatory power. On the other hand, the creator of the universe could say to you, in the beginning, I created heaven and earth. I spoke it, and it came into being. And by faith, we understand that things do not just come into being by themselves. By faith and by reason, we understand that the story that says once upon a time there was nothing, and then one day nothing exploded and became everything, 
is not the real story. By faith, we understand that what is seen was not made out of things that were visible, but that the universe was created by the word of God. And that's not just a wish, and it's not just a hope, but it's firmly grounded on something real and on real reason and real logic, even if I'm not very good at explaining it. So faith is not just this, this blind wish that I want things to be X, instead they're Y, I'm just going to keep acting as though they're X. No, it's based on I have testimony, I have knowledge from my own experience, I have knowledge from the people around me, I have knowledge from history, I have reason that says this is true. And because I have all of these reasons I'm not going to let this set of circumstances override what I know to be true. That's what faith is. That's what they're called to live by. So what does living by faith look like? And so that's where you get the rest of chapter 11, the next 36 verses. Abel, offering to God a more acceptable sacrifice because he believed something about God and it was counted as righteous. Enoch, understanding that in order to please God, in order to come to God, he's got to trust that God really is there and that God rewards those who seek him. And so Enoch walks with God and he walked with God so closely that he didn't see death, but he was taken up by God. Abraham hears the word of this God saying, go out from your father's house to another place. And while the, the word is still in his ears, he goes, not knowing where he's going, because he trusts the one who calls him. And he goes to another country. He leaves the, the civilized, powerful, city that he lived in and goes out and lives in a tent for the rest of his life waiting on a promise of an inheritance, waiting on a promise of children and of posterity even though his wife is barren. But trusting God that there is something coming because he trusts God who is faithful. Trust, he trusts that same God when God says to him, take your son Isaac, in whom I will bless you and raise up offspring and, and kill him. And Abraham thinks about it. He thinks about who this God is. And he thinks, God's telling me to do this. I guess God can raise him from the dead. He's got something going on here. I'm going to obey. And he lays Isaac on the altar and he raises the knife. He trusts God so much. And an angel appears and says, hey, take that ram over there in the thicket and kill it instead.
Abraham's great-grandson Joseph, I'm not going through all of these, but Abraham's great-grandson Joseph, who spent his life in slavery, much of his life in slavery, betrayed by his brothers until he was raised to the second highest position in Egypt, living by faith. As he's dying, he says, God has promised us a place in the land of Canaan. That is our homeland, not here in Egypt. So several hundred years from now, when God brings you guys out of Egypt and takes you back to Canaan, take my bones. Because he trusts the promise. Moses, raised again in Egypt, in the, in the palace of the Pharaoh, decides that it's better, it's better to receive disgrace and reproach for the sake of God than to receive all that he can get in the palace. And he walks out. And then he leaves Egypt because he trusts what God is calling him to. And 40 years later, he returns. and leads the people of Israel out through the Red Sea, walking by faith. Now, I want to go back quickly to, uh, uh, where is it? Chapter 11, verse uh, 15 and 16. All of these people, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. So think about this. If you're one of these Hebrews who's thinking about leaving the faith and turning back to Judaism, or if you're one of us, Americans, thinking, as Mike talked about last week, that it's... uh, It's no longer socially expedient for me to be counted as a Christian. Maybe I'll just quiet it all up. Maybe I'll find a church that's more acceptable. Maybe I'll just stay home on Sunday morning and, you know, watch basketball or whatever. Um, Yeah, all of these people, they could have gone back. Abraham could have gone back to Ur. Moses could have just stayed in the palace. But they didn't just go back. They kept going. And because of that, even though all of these people are flawed in many ways, God is not ashamed to be called their God because they're people who persevered in faith. And they received and saw many wonderful things. And so we come again to verse 32 of chapter 11 where he he talks about the fact that, that I'm out of time, that, you know, I've... I've gotten, I've gotten one, one, not even a fifth, I've gotten like, a, like a, a, a tenth of the way through the Old Testament. I've got to stop now. Um, look at all of the things that were done. And one of the things that struck me as I was reading this, uh, this portion of the passage is how it starts out that, you know, these various heroes through faith, they conquered, they enforced justice, they obtained promises, they stopped lions, they quenched fire, 
It's all this really amazing stuff. Even, even dead children were restored to their families. And, and when we think about living by faith, for a lot of us, that's where we want to focus. Like, yes, living by faith, we'll receive these promises, we'll receive these blessings from God. It will be awesome. And then it, it turns in... Uh, verse 35, right in the middle of verse 35, after the women have received back their dead from resurrection, some people were tortured, some refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Some were mocked and flogged, some were stoned, some were cut in half with saws, some were killed with the sword. And that one's especially good because just back in uh, verse 34, some of them escaped the edge of the sword, some of them were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated. So he's not telling these people, hey, walk by faith and everything's going to be great for you. He's telling them, walk by faith and some amazing, magnificent things are going to happen. And some of you are going to be stuck in trees and sawed in half. Some of you, some of you might be thinking that, well, if I'm killed by the sword, that's quick. I don't suffer that much. So I might could handle that. But some of you might just be left with nothing to walk around and wander in the wilderness trying to eke out survival because you're cut off and rejected by your society. Walk by faith. And if you do that, because of your faith. You are a person of whom the world is not worthy, he says. But then he reiterates in verse 39 that all of these people, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised because it was waiting since God had provided something better for us that apart from us they should not be made perfect. And we too, we too have to wait. We too have to walk by faith. And one of the uh, just seemed obvious applications out of this list of what, of what the believers suffered, what they went through, is that we must encourage one another. That's been one of the repeated themes throughout throughout the book of Hebrews. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that no one may be, no one may be hardened by the deceitful of, deceitfulness of sin. Do not forsake meeting together, but encourage one another all the more as you see, see the day approaching. So we have a responsibility to testify to what God has done for us and in us. We've got a responsibility. I've got a responsibility to Steve and Liz to say this is what God is doing and this is why you guys should not grow weary. This is why you guys should not give up. They've got that responsibility to me to say not only this is what I see in scripture, but this is what I see as God works in my life. Do not give up. Do not turn back. Do not grow weary. And not only do we speak that to one another, but we pray for one another. 
We lift up each other to God because we know, I know, I know of myself that I am not strong enough to bear whatever, whatever it is right here, whatever, whatever all of these, these temptations and, and, and sufferings. I can't bear that. I know I can't bear that because I know the really easy little temptations that I fall to. So I know I'm not going to stand up under a big one unless God does something. So we pray for one another that God would do something. And with that, I want to, I want to encourage us. There's a group on Sunday morning at 8.30. We do a conference call that John Stevenson hosts to pray for the church and to pray for one another and to pray for God's work in the world. Every Sunday morning at 8.30. If you want to be part of that, you can tell me, talk to John Stevenson, we'll give you the number for the conference call. And there is coming a day when it won't be no conference call, we'll be together up in the prayer room. Tonight at 6.30, there are some of us who will gather over Zoom. And again, there's coming a day when it's not going to be Zoom, it's going to be in person. But we'll do this over Zoom as long as, as, long as it's helpful. Tonight at 6.30, we'll be gathering to pray for the world, for God's work in the church throughout this world to encourage our brothers and sisters in Nigeria, in China, who are being imprisoned, who are being killed for their faith. For our brothers and sisters here in the U.S. who are not facing that kind of persecution, who are not going to jail, who are not being killed, but who are still burdened with the temptation to turn away, to deny, to not walk by faith, but to, to j- just live and not walk at all in comfort. So tonight, 6.30, Zoom, you can talk to me. You can, yeah. And when you gather with your community groups, pray with one another. Not just the, uh, you know, the kind of weekly, this is my need today, but pray for one another that we would remain faithful, that we would look beyond, you know, the immediate test or the immediate trial to what God is doing among us and among the people around us and that we can be part of that. So, pray. And finally, what does this perfection and triumph of faith look like? Starting in chapter 12, therefore, this is why the writer is saying, this is why I've been writing all this stuff about faith, writing about all the heroes, writing about all the sufferings. This is why, therefore, this is what all the rest of this chapter was about. Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Abel and Abraham and Joseph and the Maccabees, and Paul, and Mary, and Polycarp, and St. Francis, and Augustine, and Ed, and, and Ray, and Michael, and Becky. Since we are surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, and witnesses, not just people who are watching, not just the spectators, but witnesses like in a court, the people who are testifying to what God has done. Since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, 
the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of God. So if you were at all inspired and encouraged by, by what he has written about the life of faith and about this perseverance, if you are hearing the voice of the witnesses and you're saying, I want to run by faith, I want to complete, I, I don't want to be one of those who shrinks back and is destroyed. I want to be one of those who endures and preserves their soul. Then everything that gets in the way of that, get rid of it. Every sin, every easy little sin that doesn't seem that bad in the moment, every video that you're thinking, it's just three minutes and then I can go on to whatever, you know, then I can go do my prayer time and I won't look at any of the recommendations that follow it. I'll just watch this one. Any of that, cut it out, let it go, throw it away, cast aside the little temptations, definitely cast aside the big ones, so that you can run and look to Jesus. He says that all these people, they didn't receive the promises because it was awaiting something that was going to perfect it. Today is Palm Sunday, the commemoration of the day that Jesus entered Jerusalem to crowd shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who, who comes in the name of the Lord. Crowds hailing Jesus as their king, who five days later cried, crucify him. And Jesus knew that when he was sitting on the back of the donkey hearing the Hosanna, he knew he was going to hear the crucify. Because he saw what was coming, because he saw not his death, but beyond his death to his resurrection. He said of that cross, they're going to hang me up on this thing that is the most shameful possible way to die that is the absolute worst that the Roman imagination has for executing and displaying a criminal. They're going to hang me on that. And for the Romans, that means shame. And for the Jews, that means curse. I see that cross. And I'm going to hang on that cross. And that's going to be the glory of God. As my blood is poured out for the forgiveness of sins, so that these people who are killing me, these people who are cursing me, these people who are rejecting me, can come into the presence of God, pure and spotless and washed clean. So that they can come before rejoicing hordes of angels because I'm not afraid of that shame and I'm not afraid of that curse. It is nothing. He despised that shame. And he took our sin. Look at him and what he offers and look where he is now, seated at the right hand of God. 
in honor and glory. And walk by faith. And anything that says to you, turn back because I'm better than, than what this God is offering. Anything that says to that, despise it as much as Jesus despised the shame of that cross. And say, I don't care. I'm running to the presence of God. Because he makes known to me the path of life. At his right hand, there's pleasure forevermore. There's fullness of joy. In his presence, there's pleasure forevermore. Run with endurance to faith. And so, let me finish. I'll just read this one more time. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Look to Jesus. Run to Jesus. That faith is not just a wish. It's not just a, oh, wouldn't it be nice? Jesus is in the presence of God praying for you, for your joy with him for eternity. Look to Jesus, run by faith. Join me in prayer. Band, come on back up. Lord, Lord, whatever I've said, let this be what we hear. Fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, open our eyes, open our hearts, open our faith to see Jesus seated at your right hand. Open our hearts to love him, to be intoxicated with him, to put all our hope and all our glory and all our joy in him. Lord, let us run by faith with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Amen.